Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. I mean, I think when things happen, you have to accept that something has just happened that you can't change like that, right? And then say, okay, and now what? That was a clip from my interview today with Matt Bowles, our guest on the show, who talked about his journey from working as an activist in international peace and conflict resolution to becoming a digital nomad, real estate investor, and entrepreneur, and all of the ups and downs and struggles and aha moments that came up along the way and this brought up a lot of pivotal moments in his life where you had to make a decision and reflecting back on this interview the big theme that bubbled up to the surface was this idea of finding the opportunities within these moments which isn't always easy to do as you know when life throws you lemons it's not always your first gut reaction to make lemonade (laughs) but through stories like today's, we can get tips, perspectives, reminders, and ideas on how you can find those opportunities and use them to travel more or do the other things you want to do in life. We talk about why a job comes with a massive level of insecurity, why going abroad can be such a game changer. You'll hear about his experience picking the top five places they wanted to live around the world and then spending two months in each of them, which I thought was a fantastic idea. We dive into the topic of transitions and how that can impact your identity. You know, you get invested in a certain thing that you've done for so long and then all of a sudden you you leave it to go travel, you leave it to do something else. It, it can be a difficult thing to manage and get your head around. So we get into the transition that you might have to make in terms of your identity and the way you think about yourself when you're making that transition to travel or something else. And we cover the topic of real estate as a digital nomad, how you may want to set things up so you can travel and have that freedom, get some advice on remote work, and so much more packed into this interview. Plus, I'll talk about reverse thinking and share a simple practical exercise you can do to get you thinking about things differently, which may impact the decisions you make, and a little bit of commentary on the magical crossroads, which is something that comes up in this interview. All that happening right now, so let's get into it. Buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And I can't believe I get to say this right now. I am getting on a plane in less than a week for the first time in two and a half years, roughly. It's kind of crazy. For those of you out there that have been on a plane, you know, get in touch. Give me some advice. Do I remember how to do it? What's my routine? I know I like to get a newspaper to bring on the plane. That's something I don't normally read every day. But for some reason, do you have those things? You just Maybe you don't do them in regular life, but for some reason, you do them on a plane. Another one of those for me is drink cran apple juice. <laughs> I don't sit at home drinking cran apple juice, but when they come and ask me what I want to drink, Hey, do you have cran apple juice? Why? Why cran apple juice on the plane? I don't know. Anyway, if you have some quirky things like that that you do on the plane, get in touch. Let me know. I'll share them on the show. You can leave me a voice message. I always leave a link to those. I got a couple recently and uh, I want to share one in this show who made a big change recently and had a great slogan, a new slogan that she just came up with. And I thought, oh, this is... This is wonderful. I got to put this on the podcast. So anyway, you'll hear that after the interview segment. I want you to stick around for that. Plus, we'll discuss the interview and this idea of magical crossroads. And I'll share that simple practical exercise you can do to think completely differently about either your current situation or perhaps some decisions you have to make. It's a good thing to keep top of mind at the very least as a thought experiment because it's easy to get stuck in our way of thinking, I feel. And this helps me break out of it and maybe it'll help you do the same. Okay, let's slip and slide into this interview and I will see you on the other side, my friend. How is this going to go? I, I don't know. Isn't that the exciting thing about having a podcast and having interviews? You just don't know how it's going to... It's all very in the moment, right? Isn't that what's great about traveling? A hundred percent, brother. That's it, man. Puts you in the moment. Forces you in the moment, right? You have no other choice. <laughs> well, I'm in the moment right now and on the line with Matt Bowles. I was just on his podcast. We'll talk about that in a second. But Matt uh, co-founded the Maverick Investor Group in 2007 as a fully remote real estate brokerage to help people buy cash flowing rental properties in the best US real estate markets, regardless of where they live. I'm sure real estate is going to come up a little bit as a topic today, at least a little bit. Um, Matt has been a full-time digital nomad with no permanent base since 2013, and he's run his company from 65 different countries on six continents in the last eight years. When I read that, Matt, is that like hard to, uh, it's like hard to believe? 
<laughs> you know what? I I do actually believe it because it's been an incredible, an incredible journey and an incredible adventure. And uh, you know, to be honest, eight years into it, I mean, obviously, COVID was uh, a bit of a halt uh, to it, a bit of downtime. But that notwithstanding, I'm just as excited about it today as I was when I first started out. It hasn't dimmed at all. I love that. Love your enthusiasm, man. Well, Matt's also the host of The Maverick Show podcast, where he interviews today's most interesting location-dependent entrepreneurs and world travelers. So we're kindred spirits in that way. I was just on his show and you know he forced me to drink a 7% beer while I was being interviewed. I'm, I, only one beer. So anyway, now we're, we're back on my show. I've got a glass of wine. He's here. Um, Matt's a sought-after speaker. I, I love how I'm breaking up the intro here. I never do this. What, what's going on? What are you doing to me here? Uh, Matt's a sought-after speaker. He's addressed uh, conferences around the world, ranging from the Nomad Summit to South by Southwest on topics relating to real estate investing, location-independent entrepreneurship, and long-term world travel. He's also been featured in the forthcoming film, Roamers, the first ever studio-backed documentary about the digital nomad lifestyle. So, Matt... Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. So great to be here, Jason. <laughs> I am such a fan of your show, so it's an honor to finally be on it. Let everybody know where they can find you. Just drop your URL and stuff like that now. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, the Maverick Show podcast, you can find wherever you are listening to this podcast. Just type in The Maverick Show with Matt Bowles, B-O-W-L-E-S, and you will find it there. You can subscribe to it there. Uh, I interview amazing and super interesting location-independent entrepreneurs, many of whom have built totally virtual, fully remote businesses and spaces that are not traditionally virtual and done all sorts of interesting stuff, as well as just designed these epic lifestyles where they're traveling the world, having incredible adventures. And we go deep on a lot of topics and pull out value in each episode for the listeners that you can apply in your own life. So definitely check out The Maverick Show. Uh, you can subscribe to it there. If you want to connect with me personally on Instagram, I'm at Matt Bowles Maverick. And then if you're interested in the real estate investing stuff, we help people buy cash flowing rental properties from anywhere in the world. All the rental properties are in the US. They're turnkey renovated tenants in place, property management in place. So you're not the landlord or the rehabber, uh, but you can buy and own the real estate. And if you're interested in doing a consult with us about that, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And we'd be happy to uh, chat with you about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Obviously you have an expertise in real estate. And I think that from a location independent perspective, it can scare some people off. Well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a physical thing in some place. I know it scared me off for a while until I realized, well, that's something you can automate too. So I want to learn more about that. But, you know, we're turning the tables here because I was on your podcast and we talked a bit about my upbringing. And I wanted to hear, you mentioned growing up in the suburbs as well. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about where you grew up and what that experience was like for you. I can't imagine you were surrounded by a bunch of digital nomads who were saying, hey man, you should just travel the world and not live anywhere. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, you and I had so many similarities. So I actually moved around a little bit growing up, to be honest. So to, if you actually literally want to trace my nomadism, maybe I could attribute it some of it to the fact that even as a kid growing up, I never lived anywhere for more than seven years. Uh, my parents were, you know, change, changing jobs, moving around, that kind of thing. So, um, middle school and high school, uh, I was living in the suburbs of Buffalo, New York, and like your experience, 
very homogenous, very white, very upper middle class, very traditional uh, type of area in terms of the way that we were socialized, the things that we were exposed to, uh, and all of that. I ended up going to college in Cleveland, Ohio, and I had no idea what I wanted to study when I got into college. So I was like, mm, you know, what do I do? I'm just going to take classes that are interesting. Finally, they forced me to pick a major. And I said, you know what? I'm going to study sociology because that was the most interesting thing to me. And a lot of the stuff that I had come across in college, I'd never been exposed to before. And it was all in sociology. I was learning about race, class, gender, inequality, colonialism, you know, all of these types of things. One of my professors was Native American. I was studying, you know, the history of native nations in the United States. And then I ended up studying abroad. And that for me was the travel game changer. That, that was, was the thing. That Where did you it. study abroad? I went to Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland for a year. And this was in the late 90s. Um, you and I are pretty close to just about the same age. So we are the same era. So uh, in the 90s, I studied abroad in Ireland. I was there for the full year, first time being alone outside the country, you know, other than like a, you know, senior year high school spring break trip to Cancun or something like that, which I don't really <laughs> exactly count. what I did. <laughs> exactly. Um, but on that year, that changed the game for me on so many levels. I mean, first of all, I'm Irish American. And so that allowed me to reconnect with my Irish heritage, which was a game changer, right? Because as you mentioned, like in the suburbs in the US, a lot of us, it's just, oh, it's a whole bunch of kind of like white folks there, right? But where did all of these folks originally come from? What is their heritage? What is their lineage? Well, the Irish heritage, right? As I learned, as I studied Irish history, and I studied the history of the British colonization of Ireland, and the Irish resistance to the British colonial presence in Ireland, you know, over over centuries, right? And then how that actually, you know, the Irish folks who are still living under British military occupation in the north of Ireland today uh, have all of these global politics that are supportive of these other oppressed struggles around the world and decolonial struggles around the world and all of this kind of stuff. And I started to just really just, you know, my, my, my mindset and my worldview, you know, in, and connected with my own Irish identity, right? Like this was a game changer for me. My advisor in college, when I went back, right, he was Native American, as I mentioned. So we started looking at the, the similarities between the British colonial processes over the Irish and, you know, similar to the processes over the Native Americans and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And that sort of led me on this path to eventually what I did in grad school is I studied international peace and conflict resolution. So I was actually in Ireland, 1997, 98, which is the year that they signed the Good Friday peace accords in Ireland. And I was actually reading the newspaper every day, following that whole process. I was there in Belfast the day that it was signed. And then my fall semester, my senior year, I did another study abroad program. So I was gone from my university for like a year and a half. And this one focused on the Israel-Palestine conflict. And it included a trip to Israel, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and Egypt, right? Where we actually met in person with the conflict actors themselves and heard their own narratives from all the different sort of, you know, folks that were involved on all the different sides and, and of the conflict and all of that. And so then I did a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. And that really, I think, is, is, is what, you know, kicked off the whole travel thing for me. 
in Ireland, where were you living? What what was the what was the living situation? Were you in dorms? Were you in an apartment in the city? I'm just wondering. I'm trying to get a sense of the day to day experience on that trip for you because you spent a year in in one country. Did you go home at all? I'm just no. To- so, so I spent the full year in Ireland, except when we would take side trips. So I was living in Ratmines, uh, the Ratmines uh, section of Dublin, and it was five students packed into a two bedroom, you know, place. It was like it was like you know, my roommate and I were, you know, we had two beds in in each bedroom, so there was two people per bedroom, and then one dude slept in like a, it was like a closet type of mini bedroom or something. So we were like packed into this flat, um, and you know, but it was cool because there was there was local Irish folks who were living in the flat above us, right? So we got to connect with other. Irish students who are from Ireland, uh, and then all the people in my flat were, the, were from the study abroad program. And so my roommate, who was also Irish American um, from the U.S., and I decided and we would we would travel every weekend. So we were in Dublin, but every weekend we would literally go somewhere else, either in Ireland. So we'd go to like Cork for the jazz festival, or we'd go to Galway, or we'd go to you know someplace else in Ireland to see that other city over the weekend. Or we'd go to like just take a short hop to like Edinburgh and Scotland or to London or, you know, someplace that was close. And then over the winter break, we did a one month long Euro rail trip around Europe, just flew to Rome. And then we went all the way around Europe as far east as uh, Budapest and then, you know, all the way back to Paris and Amsterdam and all that kind of stuff. And that was just mind blowing and game changing for me. Ireland's a place that. To me, it feels like home for some reason. I feel like a lot of people that go to Ireland get that vibe. There's something about Ireland that is welcoming and comforting in some way. I can't really explain. I'm not Irish, but I get that feeling. I imagine with the heritage, you get it even even more fully, but... And and Irish people are hilarious. I mean, that's the other thing to add on, right? Like it's it's warm, it's welcoming. Anybody they don't even know you, they're inviting you in their house for tea and biscuits and all this kind of stuff. Good and crack, hol- yeah, and good crack, exactly. C R A I C, which means for people that don't know what that means, <laughs> it means fun and laughter and all of that, right? So, um, but and they're just hilarious. And so, yes, it was a different cultural experience for me. It was a way to reconnect with some of my heritage and it was absolutely a blast i didn't know that international peace and conflict resolution was something that you could study or go to school for that's a that's big thinking i think in in terms of okay hey what am i gonna go to grad school for Um, international peace and conflict resolution that's pretty that's pretty heavy stuff i just want to hear a little bit more about what what drew you to that specifically? I know you were following the story in Ireland, but on a deeper level, what would you say was the draw to, to actually invest? What was it? I would imagine a grad school, maybe a couple of years of your time into that. But where did you think that was going to take you? What was the, the sort of the end goal? I'm just trying to get a sense of where you were in your life at that time. 
Yeah, to be honest, I didn't know it was a thing either until I discovered it. <laughs> it's, it is an interdisciplinary program, right? So normally there's like academic disciplines, which is like political science or sociology or psychology or like, you know, if you're in the social sciences, right? Um, and this was an interdisciplinary program. And I really just discovered it because I happened to do this second semester program that I mentioned while I was still an undergrad, which was a peace and conflict resolution semester program that studied the Israel and Palestine conflict. Um, we were based in DC for much of the semester and then included the trip to the region. And that was a total game changer. And I under, that was through American University in Washington, DC. And I understood by going through that program that they also offered a master's degree at American University that you could do in international peace and conflict resolution. And so when I started studying the Irish conflict so closely, and then I started studying the Israel-Palestine conflict so closely, and I started to understand the, you know, the, the whole colonial framework for understanding these, these conflicts and all this, it just became something that I was very passionate about from a, you know, from a social justice perspective, right? Like when you go to Palestine and you see the reality of, uh, you know, what's going on on the ground or you, you go to the occupied, you know, north of Ireland and you're sort of really getting immersed in what's actually happening here. I was drawn to it from a social justice perspective, from an activist perspective. And so I decided, to be honest with you, Jason, I didn't know what to do after, after my undergrad. I was like, um, I don't know what I want to do. How about go to grad school? And so I did. And then I got the degree, the master's degree. And then I still didn't know what I want to do because a lot of people with those degrees are doing stuff like kind of going into the State Department or going into like doing some diplomatic work or trying to do some UN stuff. And it wasn't really my thing. I wasn't really a governmental, you know, type of guy. I was more of a nonprofit, you know, advocacy type of, you know, activist person, grassroots activist kind of person. And so uh, I did a lot of volunteer activist work around Palestinian human rights issues, around, you know, Irish um, issues. And then uh, what I ended up doing is end up getting a job doing, you know, professionally getting paid finally to do um, advocacy work around civil liberties issues in the United States post September 11th, right? So after 9-11, there was all of these very draconian measures that came down to the United States. Uh, there's a lot of racial targeting of Arabs and Muslims and South Asians and, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. It was a very intense time in the United States. And so I actually got hired by an organization and paid to full time to do advocacy work around civil liberties issues in the United States and uh, did that for a number of years and really worked in that nonprofit advocacy space all the way up until the age of 30, at which point I switched organizations and that turned into a whole thing because six months after I got to my new organization, I walk into work one day and they're like, yeah, this isn't really working out. We're going to have to let you go. I had just moved across the country to Los Angeles. I had just there. And now all of a sudden I don't have a job. And it was that day that I got let go from that job that I said to myself, you know what? I'm not going to apply for another job. I'm not going to work for anybody else ever again. I am going to figure out how to start my own business. Wait, was that was, quickly? Yeah. It was literally that day. It was that day. And I what, said- Why? Because you were so angry that it was out of your control and you got let go? So I realized, first of all, that having a job comes with a massive level of insecurity, which is that you can get fired without notice any day. Right. Right? The opposite of a lot of, of the way a lot of people perceive a job, right? right? Yeah. The other thing is that 
you know, if you have a job, you have a supervisor and you have to do things the way the supervisor wants you to do them and you have to be accountable to them and, and all of that. And I didn't have the freedom. So I was passionate about these issues, right? I was, pa- I was, I was, you know, before I got a job doing advocacy work, I was doing activist work for free as a volunteer in my own time because I cared about these issues and making the world a better place and things like that. So I cared about these things. But, you know, in that, you know, space, for many years, my job was great. and It was blissful. and It was awesome. But then all of a sudden, I saw how I could turn on a dime. And so I said, you know what, I would rather create the freedom for myself if I can create income for myself that's not dependent on somebody else being my boss and paying me, then I can have the freedom to do activist work or contribute to the world on my own time, on my own terms in the way that I want. And I'm not, you know, uh, doing it professionally and reporting to a supervisor. And so that realization literally hit me on that day. I was, you know, I had to hand in all my work stuff, you know, that was, I had a work phone. I was driving I didn't have a phone when I left the office because it was a work phone. I had to give it in. So I remember driving to the cell phone store to buy a phone to call my mother to tell her that I got fired. And on that drive, I said, you know what? Instead of going home and starting to look for new jobs to apply to, I'm going to go to the bookstore and I'm going to start reading books on how to start a business because that was the other problem. I had no idea how to start a business, right? But as <laughs> as a small as, problem, as, 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 as a small problem. So I go to the bookstore, right? And I start reading books. And each day I would go into the bookstore and I would just sit there and reading books. I wasn't buying these books, Jason. I didn't have a job, but I would sit there and I would read them, right? This is in LA. I was at Barnes and Noble in the Grove, if anybody knows LA. And I would sit there every day and read it. This was 2007. And one day I walk into the bookstore and there's a brand new book on the new bookshelf. Let me and it's guess. Called, it's called The 4-Hour Workweek by some <laughs> guy that nobody had ever heard of by the name of Timothy Ferris. And I said, huh. Looked it up, looked at the back of the book, read the whole thing that day. And I said, that is what I'm going to do. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitude go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best 
off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Okay, so that was the that was the spark plug, so to speak. That was the spark plug that turned on the light bulb for me. That's because I I had already said I want to start my own business and I want to create a, a way for me to generate income without being accountable to a supervisor and be my own boss. And I had that. What the four hour work week did is it said. To me, the light bulb that went on in my brain was when you build a business plan, creating income for yourself is only one part of that. And it's not even necessarily the most important part. Creating location independence and the freedom of mobility for yourself is the other part. And creating asynchronous uh, you know, uh, an asynchronous business so that you can have control over your time. Uh, and you can do your work on your time as well, right? So time freedom, location freedom, and the financial piece of it uh, was what that book, you know, lit me up about. And I said, okay, now I understand that from the very beginning, this is what we want to create. Yeah. My girlfriend at the time gave it to me and she's like, I think I'll like this. So thank- thankfully she did. I mean, isn't that funny how the world works maybe could you say that or just just serendipity i mean you if you were not fired from that job you wouldn't have been in that bookstore sitting there looking for the new books that came out on the shelf that day if i wasn't fired from that job i might still be at that job today let me ask you intuition serendipity happenstance whatever you want to call it is that something that is an active part of your life? Is that something that's just like, you're just like, oh, well, that's coincidence? Or is that something that you use to make decisions or to reflect upon in a certain way? I'm just trying to get a sense of your, yeah, your value system, I guess, around that type of thinking. I mean, I think when things happen, you have to accept that something has just happened that you can't change like that, right? And then say, okay, and now what? Right? So like, I do realize that like, you know, if you're in a job or for me anyways, right? If I was in a job that was mostly good, okay? And remember, the job that I was in was actually very meaningful to me, right? Like I was literally getting paid to do make positive contributions and affect positive change in the world. Right. So I mean, clearly was, you you studied international peace and conflict resolution. This was fulfilling Yeah. Totally. On, on a totally. soul level. Totally. Right? So it wasn't like, oh, this is some worthless, you know, this is a meaningless job. No, like it, it, I was doing meaningful work. I was getting paid, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so to be honest, if this hadn't happened, I don't know if I would have just left and said, okay, I'm starting my own business now or I'm doing this or I'm doing whatever. I don't know if I ever would have done that. And so, you know, for me, that 
happening was like, okay, well, this just pushed that transition process forward. What should I do now? What should my next step be now that this has happened? And just kind of go and do that. So a lot of times in life, I think, you know, when there's something that could perceive to be a setback or a big negative experience in your life, what could that potentially be opening up for you? right? Like what could the doors be that are opening up and not just focusing on the one that closed, but like now how does this open up a whole nother path for you that you can take? And that's exactly what I did. I just ran with it down the totally new path. Yeah. But even before you came across that book, you decided that you were going to work for yourself, which is not, it's not necessarily a decision everybody would make in that moment. And this goes back to maybe the like an age-old question of is an entrepreneur born or made? I'm not sure what you think, but your first inclination was to start something for yourself. Why? Why do you think that was? Because you just said that you could have gone the other way and ended up you could still be working in that job. So why like why did you do that? Why not why not just like find another job or something? You know, I'm gonna work for the UN now. I don't know. It was an experiment in the pursuit of autonomy, I think. Um, I was 30 years old by that time, right? So that, and, and was that part of it? Like kind of like, oh, this is a milestone sort of age. I'm ending a new... I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, for me, a lot of times, a lot of these different things were were very exciting and meaningful when they happened, right? Like I told you, when I studied abroad for the first time, I mean, it was euphoric and exhilarating. When I took that month-long trip through Europe, it was euphoric and exhilarating and totally new in different ways, right? When I landed this job, you know, this was a dream job, my initial job that I landed, right? Doing the civil liberties advocacy stuff. I was like, I can't believe someone's paying me to do this work. Like, this is incredible. I've been just <laughs> like doing volunteer activist stuff. Like, this is amazing. So, so each of these things was like, wow, this is euphoric and amazing and fantastic. And I was relishing in it. And I think by the time that I was 30 and I had seen, you know, the other side of this, I had seen, you know, different challenges and stuff and office You're saying you got jaded? Things. Are you saying you got jaded? I, you know, I, I think what it was is... Not necessarily jaded, but just realizing that there's a lot of pros and cons about everything. What can I do in my life in terms of if I'm thinking about a next step where I can optimize all of the things that are important to me, right? So if there's a way that I can continue to you know, contribute and, and do things that are important and affect positive change in the world, but I can also have more autonomy, more control over my life, and eventually you know, more location freedom and time freedom and, you know, this, you know, massively heightened level of autonomy in my life. And I can keep grounded in the same values. How can I do that as a next step? So honestly, like reflecting back on it now and thinking through your question, I think these were all steps that I took and I take a step and I learned something and I, and then I made me take a step in another direction, right? That was based on the previous step that I took. And that inspired me to take another step in a direction based on the previous step that I took. And so I think this was just me taking everything that I had learned up to that point and saying, how can I take all of the things that are important to me? and then take it to the next level. Hmm. I, everything you just said, uh, I just, two words came to mind. That's the magical crossroads, right? All those things you said, it's like, I can affect change in the world. I can, you know, it's aligned with my value system. There, you know, all of those things. And you, you kind of cross them and match them up in a way that is fulfilling for you now. I mean, it sounds like you've 
you, you read that book in 2007, but you realized that that goal of setting up a business in a way that allowed you to travel. And, and at that point, because you had been working for advocacy and activism and, and in this field up until you were 30, you still had the, you know, the, the experience of living in Ireland and studying abroad. Now you're, you're some years removed from that, right? Not that you weren't, I mean, traveling for these jobs, maybe you were occasionally, but it doesn't sound like you were pretty set up somewhere for these oh, jobs. This was, this was, this was in 10, LA. This was, yeah, this was 10 right. years after the Island experience. So was the travel thing nagging at you while this was happening? Like what, you know, is that why when you read the four hour work week that did you start marrying that idea with travel again as a part of your life? So conceptually, but I didn't execute on that for many years. And the reason is because when I was in LA, I, well, first of all, I, I was like, okay, well now I don't have this job. So I could literally be anywhere, but I love the city of LA and I had just moved there. Right. And I was like, you know what? I love this city. So I could be anywhere, but I'm going to be here. Right. And so I was actually based in LA for the next uh, six years after that, right? So, oh, was part of that because of the real estate? Because you went into real estate, like if you went into e-commerce or something, do you think it would have been the case? For me, actually, no, because I, I, one of the reasons I was in LA for that long is because I was in a relationship, and my relationship partner was doing her PhD at UCLA. Um, so she was Egyptian American, and she was you know, born and from LA and she was at UCLA doing her PhD and we were actually living together. And then she comes home one day and says, yeah, so by the way, I've got to go to Cairo for a year to do my dissertation research. By the way. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I, I didn't even actually say by the way. <laughs> and, and so I don't know. That was a while ago. She said something <laughs> like that. And, but I didn't even flinch, Jason. I was like, cool. I'm location independent. I'll go to Cairo for a year. Let's do it. And we went. Wow. Okay. So what year was that? 2013. And furthermore, by the way, um, we said, well, you know, if we're going to go to Cairo for a year and we're going to kind of get rid of all of our stuff and get rid of our place and all that, you know, we don't have to stay here for the summer. So why don't we leave three months early and go somewhere else on the way to Cairo? Because pretty much anywhere in the world is cheaper to live than LA anyways. And let's see another part of the world. So we just pulled out a world map. We were like, where do we want to go? At the time, we were like, mm, Buenos Aires. So we went to Buenos, because that's on the way to Egypt. What an awesome Jason, city. I mean, you know. uh, so we went to Buenos for three months, and then we went to Cairo for, uh, ended up being nine months. And then we were like, well, you got a year to write your dissertation. I can work from anywhere. We don't need to go back to LA. Uh, you can do it from anywhere. So why don't we just uh, pull out a world map, pick the top five places in the world we most want to live, and then just go rent an Airbnb in each of them for two months. And so that's what we did. We were like, really? Rio de, yeah, we were like Rio de Janeiro, Cape Town, South Africa, Barcelona. And we just went and we did it. And that went for about a year and a half. What did you learn from that experience? Okay, so that experience was amazing. I mean, it was extraordinary. I mean, first of all, she, she and I ended up traveling as relationship partners um, around the world outside of the United States for that ended up being about a three-year experience, including Cairo. And it started then, off with the yeah, the Cairo, and then you did the five... Or no, you did Buenos, Buenos Aires, Aires, then Cairo, then you did the five 
you picked five places and right. lived in them for two months each, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We literally <laughs> just picked the top places in the world that we wanted to see. And we went and lived in them for two months each. That was also, though, the um, that was the year I learned about the Schengen uh, region because I almost got kicked out of it. Uh, <laughs> we were in Lisbon and I literally just booked an Airbnb in Barcelona, right? Because Lisbon and Barcelona were like two of our five. And we had been in the Schengen for like, I don't know, like 80 days or something. And as an Americans, you can only be there for, for 90. Then you have to be out for 90, right? Before you can go back in. And so um, I had never heard of this at the time, right? And, and I literally just booked a, 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 Bar- a, a Barcelona Airbnb for a month, right? And so then she's like, She's like, hey, have you heard of this thing called the Schengen region? I was like, no, what's that? She's like, yeah, it says we can only be here for 90 days and then we have to be out for 90 days. And we've already been here for like 75. So there's no way we can go and stay in that Barcelona Airbnb. <laughs> I was like, um, okay. So what we ended up doing is we like Google like non-Schengen countries, right? <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. ended up- That's been Googled many times. <laughs> we, we ended up spending the summer in Belgrade, Serbia for two months. Then we went down to Cape Town for about five weeks in South Africa. And then the woman that I had booked the Barcelona Airbnb from was so sweet. I was like, sorry, but I just learned about the Schengen region. And actually, I can't stay in your place for at least 90 days. But I really do want to come back and stay in your place. Could we just move the reservation forward like three months? And she was like, sure, no problem. <laughs> so so after Cape Town, we came back into Barcelona. So it was amazing. Wow. And that that was, would you say, that was the beginning of your digital nomad journey? Right? 100%, 100%. I mean, it sounds like it happened pretty organically in the sense that well again another happens is like you know if your girlfriend at the time never came home and said i have to study in cairo would you have started doing that whole thing right right yeah would i still be in la exactly right and so and then she and i and then that went on i mean we started doing island hopping we did like a month in sicily a month in malta a month in cyprus I mean, we just went like you know we, we just kept running with it and then eventually um she and i broke up in 2016 and I, at that point, you know, to be honest with you about reflections on the experience, um, one of the reflections on the experience that I will say is that one of the things I was not doing is I was not building social community in the places where I was. I was relying so much on my relationship partner, on one human being for everything. You know, we would work during the day, we'd go out to dinner, we'd go maybe out at night or we'd go do a thing or we'd go see part of the city. And like we did not build social community as we were moving around. And so when we finally broke up, this was a very, I mean, this was a you know seven year relationship, including our time in LA and our time traveling. I was there I am, right? Like on the island of Cyprus. And I'm like, I don't really know what to do right now because I've been traveling full time for three years. I haven't been building community. I feel incredibly alone and isolated. I'm going through this massive life transition. I need, like, I urgently need hugs from people and to be around people that care about me. But, like, I, you know, what do I do? Where do I go? So, that was another major transitionary moment for me. And in that moment, well, I, first of all, I just, I went to Skyscanner and said, you know, cheapest destination from uh, from uh, Nicosia, Cyprus, and it happened to be Athens, Greece. And so I just rolled up to Athens, right? Got an Airbnb in uh, Exarchia and just posted up in Athens and said, okay, now I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do 
with the rest of my life? You know, what are, what are my next steps? And so what I ended up doing, because I really needed a community of people, but I also really wanted to keep traveling, is I joined, I applied for and joined the remote year program which is a work travel program for remote professionals where they bring together a community of like 40 to 50 remote working professionals. And then they take you on a 12-month itinerary around the world where they provide your accommodations and co-working space and um, things to do on the ground and all of that. You live in a different city each month on four continents for an entire year, but you're traveling with the same community for the entire year. So it just basically becomes your family. And it was exactly what I needed at the time. Really? So that was worth it uh, as far as an investment? 100%. It was the the best decision that I could have made at that particular juncture. Mm. Let's talk about transitions, which are, (laughs) you know, you end up in this in-between spot where something's ending and another thing is beginning, but you don't know what the other thing is. You were in one in 2007. We can rewind to that. And then you were also in this other one after you and your girlfriend broke up and you were trying to figure out what to do and you're flying to Athens and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, and I feel like everybody ends up in these pivotal moments at some point in their lives, right? What is your advice for managing that period of time in your life or you know you could just only share your experience but what did you learn during those those little periods where you needed to sort of get onto a new thing but you hadn't quite sort of mentally or maybe maybe in the case of the job you have it had been cut off it was like bam it's done but maybe your identity is shifting, right? You're like, oh, okay, I'm no longer an activist. I'm no longer working in international peace and conflict resolution. I have to, I have to like almost reinvent myself. What are some of the things looking back that you did that you think were helpful to you? And maybe through that might help some other people listening if they're going through a transition. So I think there's a combination of two things, right? One is spending time to recognize the opportunities that have all of a sudden just availed themselves to you by Mm -hmm. whatever this event was that happened that were not previously available to you Mm -hmm. and how extraordinary. Looking at the opportunities as opposed to the negatives. So that's that's one part of it. Yes. Which can be hard to do in the moment, right? Yes, it can be. But that's why I say, right? Like this, this, really challenging thing just happened. You just got fired from your job. You just broke up with a relationship with someone that you know that you're in love with for all of these years. And you know, some big thing, of course there's like intense sadness and grief and fear and you know all these kind of things, which is of course the dominant emotion, right? That and it's okay to recognize that and to appreciate that and to don't just like, oh yeah, well I shouldn't feel those things. Like of course you should feel all of those things, right? And it's okay to be in touch with that. But simultaneously don't allow that to block the opportunities and the doors that have just recently opened up for you that have the potential for you to walk through them and create a much more, even greater, more incredible, more spectacular, more extraordinary future for yourself that has just opened up. The other thing, though, that I will say that I think is a really important answer to this question, Jason, because I struggled with this is at these moments of 
you know, reinventing yourself or, you know, transitioning. One of the things that I was really, that I really struggled with was, you know, I have so much of my identity invested in what I was doing before, you know, and if I go in this new direction, will I be, you know, you know, will I, in, in my case, actually, to be honest, the question was, will I be selling out or, or abandoning my values? So for example, if I'm a, a human rights, social justice, you know, you know, person who's committed to making the world a better place. And now all of a sudden I'm going to go start a business. Like, am I selling out? Am I, am I, uh, you know, abandoning that for something else, you know, and this was a big internal challenge for me. And so one of the ways that I dealt with that, ended up dealing with it and resolving it was, uh, well, first of all, uh, I recruited a business partner who is, who, who my, Valerie, who is my best friend. And she also did her master's degree with me in international peace and conflict resolution. And she also worked in the nonprofit space. And so I recruited a business partner that had the same background and values as me. And, the, and then we had the conversation. We said, okay, if we're going to go and be business owners now, instead of activists, how do we enshrine the values that are so important to us in our business and in our lifestyle and, and moving forward, right? And so we came up with basically four, what we call, you know, pillars of purpose, right? Which is one, yeah, we want to create our ideal dream lifestyle for ourselves, right? And and what does that look like? And how can we create location independence and, you know, do really epic stuff and all of that? So that's one, that's important. Number two, though, is, you know, how can we, through our business, create value for our customers that will help them do the same thing, right? So we help people buy cash flowing rental properties, help people build wealth, help people build passive income. Uh, income streams are going to allow them to work less at their job, finance more of their lifestyle through passive income. We help people achieve their dream lifestyles through the product and service that we offer. Okay. Number three, as our business is able to grow and scale and we're able to hire people, we're going to be a totally virtual, totally remote company. And so anybody that we hire, now we're empowering that person to live their dream lifestyle because they can work totally remotely and do their own lifestyle design thing for them or their family or whatever it is and have that freedom as well. And finally, we are going to donate 10% of our entire net revenue before the owners and managers take anything out of the company before we take our money, whatever's left off after our, our, our expenses, we're going to donate 10% of our net revenue to causes that we care about that are affecting positive change in the world. Because previously, when you're working in the nonprofit space, you don't have any money. You're giving your time, but you're not making a lot of money. You can't donate, right? So we're saying, okay, well, now if we're going to start a business, we're going to financially incentivize ourselves for the business to do well because the better the business does, the more money it will throw off to these causes that we care about. And so that really gave us the grounding and the direction and the inspiration to go the entrepreneurial route without being afraid of abandoning our values. Hmm. That's powerful. If you're listening to this and you're going through an identity shift in some ways, which we all do at some point, I think like going through identity shifts to me makes you realize that there is no identity, right? <laughs> and that's, 
that's a hard thing. I mean, that, that's a whole other conversation, right? Hey, how do we lose the ego? How do we lose the concept of identity? But to your point, and just totally being honest here, like I get I get a lot of emails for people wanting to come on the show and stuff. And I, I checked out your website, and the first thing I saw up there was was your you know Maverick stands in unconditional solidarity with the black community. Read the statement, and it's like, oh, this guy gets it. If you incorporate something like that in your business whatever cause it is at the time, charitable aspects, whatever the case is. I think there's a certain thing to that where, where you, you know, you attract a certain kind of person. And then let's talk about that from a business perspective. Do you find that incorporating some of your activism and your values in your business allows you to work with the type of clients that you prefer to work with as opposed to, yeah, I mean, what's been your experience with that? A hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent, right? And and just to you know, to build on the example that you just gave, right? We put out a statement uh, right after the lynching of George Floyd in the United States in 2020, and we said that Maverick Investor Group stands in unconditional solidarity with the Black community. We believe that Black Lives Matter, and furthermore, uh, we're not just going to make this statement, but we're going to commit that that ten percent that I just talked to you about um, that we donate. And in, in for the rest of the year in 2020, that's all going to go, you know, all of our company donations uh, are going to go to causes that um, are oriented towards ending systemic racism and police violence and white supremacy. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put our money where our mouth is and we're also going to make this public statement. And so um, we sent that out to our entire list, you know, and there were some people on our list that unsubscribed or to be honest, anybody that you know, wrote back an email, um, you know, criticizing the statement, we unsubscribed them from our list, right? Because what it did is it helped to curate the type of people that we want to be working with. When you put your values out there, right? And and it, it's the same thing with podcasting, right? You know this, the type of people you choose to have on your podcast, the type of conversations you choose to have and the issues you want to highlight and, and talk about and all of that, that's going to curate the type of people that are going to gravitate to your podcast, right? Uh, versus some other ones and differentiate you. And I think the same is true in your business and putting your values out there. You're going to attract people that have the same values that want to work with you and that you want to work with. I want to get some business advice because... Again, we're rewinding back to 2007, but chronology isn't as important as some of the the value you have to add here. And I think that's another transitional piece that can be confusing in many ways. I mean, you could have gone a lot of directions as we talked about. Did you go in the real estate direction for, I mean, first of all, let's just, let me just say this. It's really cool what you just laid out because it's a great reminder that no matter what industry you go into, you can infuse your values, your beliefs, the things that you think are important to affect change in the world, whatever that is for you, whatever version of that is for you listening, you can infuse that with any type of business or anything that you do. If you just think about, hey, how can I do that? You start asking the question, like, how can I, how can I marry these two things, right? Like, do I have to have a, like, just because I've been fired from this job, do I have to like totally release all my values and I'm starting this new thing? Do I have to totally reinvent everything? Like, no, you can bring over the good stuff. Like, you know, mix it up, create a good stuff cocktail with your new thing, right? I'm just curious from a 
business perspective, specifically location independent business, trying to figure out a way that you can have the freedom to travel. Real estate isn't the first thing that jumps off the map for a lot of people, right? And we're going to get into that because I think you have some lessons to share around managing a more of a bricks and mortar type of operation on the road. But you know, what what was it that drew you to real estate and how did you work through the initial steps of starting off a business? Like how did you get over imposter syndrome trying to like pick the right idea and you know, go forward with it instead of just saying, oh, well, I'm not sure if this is the right one. Let me research it for another six months and then I'm going to, you know, pick another one or, or, you know, I'm not going to commit because I'm too, you know, it's too much of a time investment. All of these, and I want, I'm laying this all out because these are very common struggles with entrepreneurs and you're not alone if you're listening to this and you've ever thought about starting something for yourself and you're like, oh, I don't know what idea, you know, all these things. I'm just wondering how you work through that process. Yeah. So let's start with, there's, there's a couple layers to the answer because you've asked a couple of different types of questions. That I know. Woven in there. Naughty, so, naughty podcaster. No, 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 no. This is, no, but I think I can, I think I can knock them out uh, uh, in order. So the first thing is um, the selection of your product or service. Okay. So what I had been doing prior to getting fired from my job, um, I had been investing in real estate myself. And so I, you know, a, a number of years before that, I realized, hey, I'm not going to make a lot of money in the nonprofit space. I should probably figure out, you know, how to invest. And so somebody's like, oh, you should buy a house. I was like, can I afford a house? I work at a nonprofit. You know, like uh, this guy was like, oh yeah, you do this, you get a mortgage. You go, oh, okay. So, you know, I went through the whole process and I bought a house um, a primary residence, but I bought a four bedroom house and I rented out the other three bedrooms to friends of mine. So I had three income streams that were, you know, covering the mortgage. And then all of a sudden, my first year of owning that house, it went up in value more than my entire annual salary. California. This was not California. This was actually before I moved to California. Oh, where was um, this? This was in uh, Washington, D.C. on the East Coast. Okay. And so, and so I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> You're telling me I could have sat on my couch and played video games and made more money uh, than working on my job full time the whole year. Okay. Something's going on here. So then I started reading every book I could read on real estate investing. And then I started buying rent. I, I used the equity that, that was created in the in the house from the appreciation, cashed it out and started using that as investment capital to buy other rental properties. And I started buying them in out of state markets. And what happened was my friends started asking me, right? Like, Hey, how are you buying that real estate? Can you show us how to buy real estate too? Like you're doing I was like, well, sure. I'll just show you what I'm doing. You can buy the same stuff that I'm buying. And I would show them what I was doing, where I was buying, how I was. But why, why it. were you buying out of state? Like you lived somewhere. Why? Um, because other markets were better and more advantageous than the one that I was in. But and how did you get over that fear of, oh my God, I'm not there. How am I going to manage this? All that stuff. So that's so this is all part of the development of, of our Maverick Investor Group model, right? Which is a model of what we call turnkey real estate investing, right? So the idea that came out of this whole experience was that, you know, we want, right, Maverick Investor Group, we want people to be able to buy in the most advantageous real estate markets, regardless of where they live. Okay. So for example, if you're going to buy stock in a company, 
you don't need to see and touch the stock certificate. You don't care if the corporate headquarters are in your hometown or not. You want to buy stock in the best company that you think is going to be the best investment for you, right? We want people to be able to do the same thing with real estate. And a lot of the limiting beliefs regarding real estate are, oh, I have to be near it because I have to be the rehabber and send the maintenance person over if there's a problem. I have to be the landlord. I have to deal with the tenant. I have to do this and do that. So what we did, right? And this is partly, like I said, through my experience, of kind of doing this and then realizing that people wanted my help and learning how to do this, we I realized there was a demand for this, right? For people that don't want to be the landlord and the rehabber and the, all this kind of stuff, they want to be able to do their thing, live their life, travel the world, do whatever they want. Um, and they don't want to do all that headache stuff, but they know that there's massive value in owning real estate as a hard asset. They want the benefits of owning rental property without all those headaches. And so I saw this opportunity to put together a business, right? Which is a real estate brokerage. That's the legal entity that you need in order to be involved with real estate transactions. We have to start a real estate brokerage, but it won't be a traditional brokerage. We're not going to drive people around to look at houses to live in. We're not going to list houses for sale that sellers want to sell on the MLS and sit at open houses. We're not going to do any of that. We're going to serve one niche, which is individual, regular people, that want to own rental properties as part of their you know, investment portfolio. They want to buy and own rental properties. And our clients are not the do-it-yourselfer, go out there renovating a house and all this kind of stuff. They're people that are busy. They value their time. They want to control their time to design their lifestyle or whatever, spend time with their family, whatever they want to do. Uh, they're not trying to do that, but they want to own real estate. So that is our niche crowd. And what we're going to do is we're going to build a business model that provides people access to what we call turnkey rental properties. So these are single family homes, fully renovated or brand new with long-term tenants already in place on a lease and a local professional property management company already collecting the rent every month. And why are these being sold if they're like positive cash flow properties for somebody? Because the business model of the company that's selling them right? It's almost kind of like a home flipping model for them. Okay. You know how you could buy a distressed property, renovate the property, and then sell it for more and make a profit. That's kind of the home flipping model. This is kind of the companies that are, that are offering these, which is our, you know, property providers, they're doing that with a twist, right? Instead of buying distressed properties, renovating it and selling it on the MLS to a primary homeowner for a profit, they're buying them distressed. And now they're doing this at scale, right? So the suppliers that we work with are multi-million dollar companies that do this professionally. So they buy a large number of distressed properties. They use their own construction crews. They buy their materials in bulk. They do it with an economy of scale. But then they will lease the properties out to qualified tenants. And once there is a performing cash flowing asset, they will market those properties through my company, Maverick Investor Group, as an off-market buying opportunity for our clients. Okay. Interesting. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This 
device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Do you find that the headaches with real estate are worth it with the lifestyle that you want to live? Every business has its headaches, its own version of headaches, right? I'm just curious where you're sitting, how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything specific about real estate. I think that all businesses and all entrepreneurs and any entrepreneur listening to this knows what you and I are talking about that you know entrepreneurship comes with you know i mean all you know all sorts of ups and downs and challenges and setbacks and there you know the entrepreneurial roller coaster is 100% real and every business owner knows what that's all about right so you know so really i think what we're talking about is uh, you know my business happens to be in the real estate space but you know anybody who runs any business who is choosing to be an entrepreneur is going to have all sorts of emotional highs and lows and and things of that nature. And that's part of what comes with it, which is why not everybody is. Entrepreneurship is not the path for everybody. Some people, it's better for them to get a full-time job and just negotiate a remote work location or you know something like that in order to get their location independence. But for me, yes, it's a thousand percent worth it. Like all of the challenges and all of the setbacks um, have been learning experiences and I think have built my skills, have built my character, have built my creative thinking and conflict resolution, right? (laughs) I mean, really, like, let's be honest, right? Entrepreneurship is about problem solving. That's really what it is right? It's an initial problem saying, oh, what problem do my customers have that I can solve with my product or service, right? Problem solving. Then as you're building your business, there's a million problems that are going to come out, right? There's going to be a problem with the market, the supply side, the demand side, not being able to get enough buyers, not being able to supply them with this thing, some big setback. Google changes their algorithm, right? This thing happens. You have an HR problem, right? Uh, this person quits their, their their job. This person, you know, I mean, there's a million problems that will happen and your ability to succeed as an entrepreneur is directly related to your ability to continue solving problems and your entrepreneurial journey will continue as long as you continue to solve problems. It will only end when you stop choosing to solve those problems. <laughs> and then you can get a job and then you just have to solve other problems. So you're solving problems anyway, <laughs> right? It's just, do you want to solve problems this way or you that see, way. You see how handy this conflict resolution degree comes in, Jason? <laughs> 
Give us your best real estate advice. And real estate is a deep topic, so I do want to ask you for some resources and books and things like that. But what is your best real... Like someone sits you down. I'm sitting you down. Here, I'm sitting you down. What is your best real estate advice? Um, The best real estate advice, I think, is to mitigate your risk as much as possible and buy rental property to hold for the long term. Uh, Those are the two big things, right? And the way that we do that is with this turnkey model is we help people jump over, leapfrog over all of the upfront risk that comes along with renovating and stabilizing a property. So if you were to go out and buy a distressed property, and then you were going to try to renovate it, and then you were going to try to lease it out, there's all sorts of things that go wrong with that all the time, right? The renovation budget went over what you expected. It took longer than you expected. You had more holding costs. The the tricky part is when you're when you have the whole country or world open to you, how do you even begin the research? That's... Yeah. I mean, so for us, right, all of our properties are in the United States, right? And what we've done is we have distilled down what we believe are the most you know, investor advantaged locations to buy real estate. And those change over time, by the way. Like Part of the advantage and the differentiation of our business model is that we're not a traditional brokerage that's... Most real estate brokerages are in one place. They're in one city. And they only have access to the properties that are available in their city and their local area. So they are always going to tell you that their properties are the best ones to buy, no matter what happens with the property market cycle or anything else. And they're going to retrofit their marketing materials to sell the property that they have access to because they have nothing else to sell. We have the ability to help people buy in all different real estate markets. And as the property cycles change and the most investor advantaged markets change, we can help our clients buy in those other markets and change markets and diversify over time. And it doesn't matter to us where they where they buy, we make money no matter where they buy. So we are market agnostic. The other cool part of our business model is that our clients don't pay us anything ever because in the United States, the seller pays 100% of the real estate brokerage fees and commissions. The buyer pays nothing. So we offer all of our support, consultation, education, customized, personalized, working with people to find them the right properties for them. And we don't charge them anything for that. And they can build an entire real estate portfolio and never pay a dime to Maverick Investor Group because all of our fees come from the seller and we only get paid if we can help a client find a property that is the right fit for them, passes all their due diligence and they end up closing on it, only then do we get paid, but even then, not by the buyer, right? So with this amount of, of, of option and latitude, we're able to help people buy in different real estate markets and the types of things we look for. Okay, first of all, we have never been involved in any property sales in the state of California. Way too expensive. That's crazy expensive stuff, right? You can't rent it for a fraction of what you would need to to cover all of your expenses and have a positive cash flow and any of that. So we focus on markets where you can buy relatively low, rent relatively high, but also have positive economic indicators, lower than average unemployment, people moving into the market, job creation, right? All of these types of things, right, that make it the desirable area, lower than average cost of living, things that are attracting people to live there that are that are you know making these desirable areas and within those areas totally turnkey properties so people can own them from anywhere and they can see online their statement they get the information through a, a online portal just like you would any other type of investment you don't have to be on the ground to be involved with the management 
you know, you've been to 65 countries, I believe. You've been traveling around as a digital nomad for quite a while. I'm wondering how you manage the whole time zone thing. It's more of a practical thing because it it, it seems like a, a question that's, all right, well, yeah, well, you figure it out. But like, but no, when it's affecting your day-to-day life and you're in Asia and it's a 12-hour difference, you know, there's certain ways to set up your business where you still can optimize for that freedom that you want. So whatever business you're in, whether it's real estate or e-commerce or whatever, give us some advice on sort of like remote working, remote teams, figuring it out in a way that you can be the places you want to be without staying up and taking a client call at four in the morning, whatever the case is. So the first one is to build systems and processes and hire other people to run them especially and and front loading the ones that are you know that 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 are not asynchronous right that have to be done at a specific time and so you know that's a big piece of it so thinking about kind of breaking out the different parts of your of your business right and as you start to scale your business right um thinking about what are the different aspects of it. How can I break these out into sort of job descriptions, build systems and processes for how exactly I'm doing this, and then hire and train someone else to run them, right? So if there are, so like I have someone else that runs my sales department, right? That someone else that um, works with all of our clients on an individualized basis, does all of the video consultations with them, all the relationships building, property selection, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not personally the one doing that at this point in my business, right? Because I did that and then I built a system for how to do that. And then I hired and trained someone else to do that, right? So I don't need to be available for those particular calls you know, with those particular people during, you know, business hours or whatever. Right. So, so that's part of it. And then I think, you know, for your own work, for anything that you do need to do, if you're going to be doing team meetings or calls with people or things like that, you do have a lot of latitude in terms of, you know, these time zones to overlap with somebody at some point in the day. Right. You just want to be not working, not having to work like eight hours that are like the same as American business hours or whatever. But if you need to do like one meeting and you need to figure out an overlap where both of you can do it, typically you can figure that out in the time zones, you know, whatever time zone you're in, even if it's Asia or whatever. But I would say just break your business out and try to build the systems and processes and outsource the things that are less asynchronous for you to be able to do. Let's talk about some of your favorite travel experiences. I mean, you've been to a lot of places. Are you are you still keen on living the digital nomad lifestyle? I know you're in Asheville right now. Are you like are you renting a place there? Are you do you own a place there? What's the story? No, I, I was actually here because my parents retired to Asheville, so I actually have no like. I didn't grow up here. I don't have any like of my own friends or ties here or whatever. Uh, and I'm just here at the moment, um, just visiting my parents and hanging out with them. But I have been, you know, I, and I will be as soon as it's sort of, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the time is going to be, but I am definitely going to continue with the digital nomad lifestyle. I am just as passionate about it now as I ever have been. And it's, yeah, for me, it's just exhilarating. It's invigorating. And there's just so much of the world I want to see, but also so many friends that I now have that are either, you know, 
in different places around the world or that are digital nomads uh, and that travel as well that I want to reconnect with. So I'm actually yeah. really excited to start traveling again. I mean, let's talk about some of the places you've been that you would recommend if you want to share some destination recommendations for people that are staying longer term. Man, so many. I mean, I think it really depends on what you personally are into, right? And for me, I'm into a lot of different things. <laughs> so I may have some very different types of recommendations. You know, I was, um, I mean, Brazil, for example, is one of my favorite countries in the world. Um, I think it's just electric and magical and enchanting. And every time I go, it just, it, it blows me away. So, you know, that's one of my all time favorite countries that I, that I recommend, um, for, for folks that are into, you know, what Brazil has to offer, you know, I mean, I, but I'm also, as we just started, you know, uh, on my show talking about wine, right. I will sometimes just literally go, I went 2018, I spent a month going to the French wine country. And oh, just, sweet. How was that? Oh my I, I've, gosh. I've always wanted to ride a bike and do that. Some Something like bike to different wineries and camp at them. I don't really know exactly what, but. It was amazing, man. We went to the, Bordeaux has a wine festival that they do only once every two years. And it's this massive event. It's incredible. We went to it. Um, you know, they have these tall ships that look like pirate ships that are like come in and they're on the water there. And they just have this, they have the main kind of, you know, festival thing. And then they have this like premium event that you go to. It's like a hundred of the Grand Cru wineries come down and they each bring two vintages. And so it's like 200 bottles of wine you can taste. And I mean, it's just... It's in, they have these fireworks displays, which was the most incredible fireworks display I've ever seen. I later learned that it was the company that did the fireworks at the London Olympics that literally did this one. And it was like set to music. I was like, what is going on? And it's in the city of Bordeaux. I mean, just amazing. And then we got, I went out to the Saint Emilion uh, appellation and, and was able to just, you know, see the actual wine country and walk through the vineyards and all of that. And then we went over to Burgundy and drove the Route de Grand Cru in Burgundy, which of course is the birthplace of Pinot Noir. And, you know, just going through medieval villages that might have, you know, 400 residents, but 40 wineries, you know, and you're going into these basements and cobwebs and drinking wine down there. And it's just, I mean, it was just, it was just amazing, man. So, you know, I like to have a lot of different types of experiences. For me, I, I, you know, I love going to Asia and spending time in Japan and Korea and Thailand and places like that. I mean, it's just, you know, you're talking about some of the best food in the world. You're also talking about really just fascinating different, you know, cultural elements that are, that are for me, just so stimulating and interesting in different ways. And um, so I like to do that. And then, you know, Africa, my gosh, man, I mean, whew. I, I, I have, uh, 2019, I spent five months in Africa. Um, I probably spent about a total of about two years on the continent now. And it's just an unbelievable place. I, in 2019, I, I spent three months in West Africa. 2018, I had done uh, East Africa. As you mentioned, uh, I spent a lot of time in North Africa and Egypt and Morocco. Uh, I've spent about three months in, in South Africa and Cape Town. And, you know, a lot of the different places are just, I mean, they're just incredible and they just, you know, move my heart and soul in different ways than Asia does or that South America does. But then like, for me, it's like when I spend a whole bunch of time in one place, even however much I love that culture, you know, like if I spend like 
you know, six months in Asia. Then I'm like, oh, I miss South America. And then I go and spend like six months in South America. And I'm like, oh, I miss Africa, you know? And then I go, <laughs> so, so that's what I love about the nomad life, man. The world, you have the whole world there and you can immerse in all of the best things about the whole world. Mm, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm going to do something that uh, at first may be perceived as lazy, but there is an intention behind it because on your podcast, when I was a guest, you sent me some questions for this lightning round. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? A lot, of, a lot of these people that do these lightning rounds, they never actually answer their own lightning round questions. So a couple things, if you want to hear my answers to these same exact questions, you can go listen to my interview with Matt on the Maverick show. And you can hear how I answered these questions. But we're going to turn the tables right now and force Matt to answer his own lightning round questions, which <laughs> admittedly he said he's never done before. He's like, wait a minute, I got I to gotta think about these. So um, number one book you would recommend. All right. I am actually going to recommend a book that I learned about on your podcast. And I learned about your podcast and then I had went and read it. And now I am going to recommend it back to your listeners that they should go and read it. It's called Traveling While Black by Nanjala Nayabola, who is an amazing Kenyan traveler. And I heard your interview with her, which was fantastic. I mean, I, I would I want to endorse people going back and listening to that episode of Zero to Travel if they haven't heard it yet. It was a really important interview on so many levels. Um, and I went and bought her book immediately after uh, listening to that episode and I read it and I think it is a really important book for travelers to read. So I want to recommend that one. She is a beautiful writer, incredible author and incredible person. So that, thanks for that. Um, number one person you would most like to have dinner with, they have to be currently alive today and somebody that you've never met. Yeah, it's a hard one. I feel like for this one, you know, I want to pick somebody that's, you know, where, where, where it's just, there's such a high level person that it would be, it would be really, really difficult to actually achieve it because I feel like that's a type of answer. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to pick Jay Z. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like. What's the first be, question you ask him? Oh man. I would ask him who's his top five, uh, hip hop MCs of all time. Of course. <laughs> Who are yours? Who are yours? Oh no! Here we go. <laughs> Wait a minute! You're deviating from the landing ground. I, I, you know, that is actually a question that I do ask some of my hip hop head guests. I mean, uh, Q-Tip is one of mine for sure. Ice Cube. Um, oh man! I sh you're saying I should have asked you this question on the Maverick show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I should have. I should have tossed this in. <laughs> so wait, okay. So you were going to go with yours. So go ahead. So Q-Tip, Ice Cube, who are your other three? Yeah. Um, uh, Chuck D. Wow, um, that's a great pick, man. I love the E double from EPMD. I just yeah. love his flow. Eric, Eric Sermon. These are yeah, all man. old school. Yeah. You know references, I guess, but from um, the golden era, man. They they should the all be. Last one, Rock him. Yes, brother. Yeah. I am what so. What a list, right? What a list. I, I can't believe that I didn't know you <laughs> right off the top of my head. Ma'am. I didn't ask you <laughs> these questions. Um, yeah. Hey, man. Hey, listen. 
I deviate in the lightning round. You, I'm a deviator. Apparently, apparently you do. So, all right. So you want you want my top five? So I would say. For well, I mean, me, you can give me your top three. Maybe five. You want top three? Okay, I would say for me, uh, Notorious B.I.G. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I would say sense. Nas. And for the third one, I'm going to say Guru from Gangstar. Oh, Jazzmatazz, such a great album. Look it up. So you're having dinner with Jay-Z. That's great. Top five amps. You're not going to ask him what appetizers he wants first? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, forget what you want to eat. I'm just going to cut right to the chase. Um, All right. Number one piece of advice you would give to your 18-year-old self. By the way, and and just to reiterate again, you asked me these same questions on your podcast. Yes. If you want to hear uh, Jason's (laughs) answers to these exact same questions, well, we already gave away your top five. Thank goodness, because uh, I didn't ask you that one. But yeah, if you want to hear Jason's (laughs) answers to these questions, just go to the maverickshow.com and uh, put his name in and uh, you can listen to his episode there. Um, Okay. So my 18-year-old self, I would say, don't be afraid to pivot. You may have a lot of very, seemingly very different paths that open up for you in life and you're not abandoning your values or your core, you know, your 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 core sense of who you are as a person by going in a very different direction. So don't be afraid to pivot. Isn't that good advice for any age, right? Top three favorite travel destinations. All right, so I mentioned Brazil. It's it's definitely in the top three. I would say I feel like everybody should go to Japan. As uh, would be, um, I'll pick in Asia, and then I want to put a, a pick from Africa in there as well. And I'm gonna say, uh, go to the city of Dakar in Senegal. It is one of the most extraordinary places I have ever been. I spent about a month there. Um, and it was just unbelievable. So I'm going to put Dakar in Senegal. Top three bucket list destinations. This is the last one. So I'm going to put Iran. I am going to put, (laughs) this is going to be a giant one, mainland China. (laughs) I've only been to Hong Kong and Macau. And there are so many places in mainland China that I want to see. I would start in Shanghai, and then I, there's just so many places I want to see. So I'm putting mainland China. I would put Iran, and then I would put Bhutan. Would be my nice. third. Oh, that's a great list. Iran and Bhutan, oh, great, great selections. Love that. Thanks for your time, Matt. Had a blast. We did a we did some marathon potting here. This is amazing. We, we recorded back to back, and uh, as you mentioned. I'm over on the Maverick Show. And if you want to find out about the real estate stuff, you can go to maverickinvestorgroup.com. Appreciate your time today. And let's uh, hopefully stay in touch. You got to come through Norway, man. I would love to, brother. I have never been to Norway. So the fjords are see? obviously a, they're like on my vision board. You know what I mean? It's like, go see Norway there fjords. Yeah. And then I also want to go go deeper and see the rest of the country, brother. So we'd love to hang out with you in Norway for sure. Let me know. We'll do a part two. Thanks so much for your time. All right, brother. Thank you. Take care. have it hope you enjoyed listening in on my conversation with matt i want to say thanks to him and if you want to hear the tables turned 
and you want to hear me get interviewed by Matt, you can check out his podcast, The Maverick Show. Of course, I will include links to everything mentioned here in the show notes. Now, I want to give a shout out to somebody in this community. I, I tell you guys, I love getting voice messages. They're so easy to leave. You don't have to really do much except push a button and record. And I have a link in all the show notes where you can do that. And I got one the other day from Suzanne. And she had a wonderful little slogan she came up with. And I wanted you to hear it. So let me play that now. Hi there. I've only listened to a couple episodes, but I'm getting caught up. My name is Suzanne. And I live in the Midwest, suburbs of Chicago. And one small step, maybe not that small, I took was putting my house on the market. It's currently under contract. Everyone keeps asking me, where are you going to go? And my response is, I do not have a where. I just have a go. Bam! There you go. I'm doing the mic drop for Suzanne. I do not have a where. I just have a go. (laughs) So cool. Love that. And I wanted to say congratulations to her for selling her house and hitting the road. I know she's looking for a trailer hitch. I don't know where she's going to end up. I hope she keeps in touch. And Suzanne, if you're listening, maybe you can drop us another voicemail down the road. Let us know where you landed, where you ended up, what you're up to. And of course, I'll say the same to you. Yes, you listening to this show. Leave me a voicemail if you can. I reply to all of those. Or you can send me an email, jason at zerototravel.com. I read all of those. And I love to hear from people in the listening community. This is a community-powered show, folks. As a reminder, I create this show for you, not for myself. So uh, I just love getting to have that two-way conversation. Please get in touch. And I am based in Oslo, Norway. If you ever come through town, always try to meet up with listeners. So if you do, drop me a note and let me know, and I'll do my best to to meet up and have an in-person chat. So a couple more things before I let you go. First of all, this idea of the magical crossroads. I talked about that in the interview where Matt was able to, what I call the magical crossroads is, is that intersection where sort of all of the best things come together for you. It's totally subjective, of course, but if you are uh, somebody who you know is passionate about something and you want to have a business around it and then you also want to travel and you're able to set it up so you can do it that way, bam, that might be the magical crossroads for you. And I always find that that is uh, not a place where you can just sit and exist forever because things are ever-changing and ever-shifting. But if you can get into this general vicinity of those magical crossroads for different things you do in life, I always find that that at least for me, it makes it more sustainable. Uh, I'm more content and more fulfilled. And it can apply that to a lot of things, right? I mean, I think feel like the magical crossroads for me when it comes to fitness is body weight workouts and being able to incorporate it into uh, like a morning routine. Not that I'm a super psycho with a morning routine, but if I can, I can do a workout in the morning and I don't have to go to a gym or, or spend money on a gym and I can just do it with my body and I can get outside, I get to sort of combine being outdoors with just using my body, saving money, and getting a good start to the day. Magical crossroads. So uh, whatever your magical crossroads are for various things, uh, it's just uh, another thing that I pulled out of this interview that I wanted to bring attention to. And... The other thing that this sparked was this this idea of reverse thinking. When I was listening back to this interview and thinking about the theme of it, 
thinking about what came up for me, what might come up for you. One thing that stood out was when Matt told me that his job came with a massive level of insecurity, or any job comes with a massive level of insecurity. And that made me realize, well, that's not the general assumption, right? Most people associate a job with security. And you might think sometimes that, hey, this is not very secure because I could get let go at any time, right? But for the most part, I feel like jobs are associated with this idea of security. Now, this little simple practical exercise I'm going to share, I'm going to use this as an example, but you could apply it to anything. In this case, somebody might be afraid to leave their job because you associate the job with security, Reverse thinking is a simple statement you could use where you just ask, what if? What if having a job didn't mean security? What if? It just opens up a whole bunch of questions, right? What if having a job, what if it didn't mean security? What if it meant insecurity? It just causes you to flip everything over. And I'm not saying that gives you the answers to all of your questions, But it certainly brings up a new set of questions and gives you a different way to look at something, right? I wish I had done this in a previous life because when I was in college, I mean, Matt talked about the impact study abroad had on him. I just assumed I couldn't study abroad because it would be too expensive. If I used reverse thinking and just asked myself, well, what if study abroad wasn't that expensive? okay, what would that look like? That just changes the game, right? It kind of opens up your mind to this idea of, well, what if? Let's let's explore that. Let's see. Maybe I still wouldn't have studied abroad, but maybe it would have given me the extra motivation or the extra open-mindedness, if you will, to explore that topic a little deeper, maybe approach it from a different angle, maybe start to think, what if this is possible? So, Reverse thinking is that simple, practical exercise, just asking what if and rephrasing the question, the assumption, the thing that is just such a firm belief. You might not even be paying attention to it anymore, (laughs) right? There are things that might be holding you back from travel or doing other things. It's a good exercise. You know, uh, you're not happy where you live. Well, what what if I moved? What if I didn't live here? What if this school wasn't the perfect school? I don't want to move because my kids are in the perfect school. What if this wasn't the perfect school that they're in? What if there were better schools out there? There probably are. (laughs) So it just opens up a bunch of other questions. I just wanted to share that with you as I was uh, processing this interview. It's something that I thought about. I said, oh, this is pretty cool. I'm going to start incorporating this into my life a little more. And I wanted to share it with you. So That's what I've got for you today. Packed a lot into this show. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Hayfitz, who said, I wish I could show you when you are lonely or in the darkness, the astonishing light of your own being. Thank you so much. Peace and love to you and yours, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 